0: Everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, editorial director, here with Mara Ladinsky, Senior Editor. Hi everyone. Well, Mara, we touched upon this in our February sweeps preview, but days kicked off a Who Done It This Week, and the victim is Charlie. Now, if you've watched the show over the past week, it may not be the biggest surprise, and NBC even ran like a sorry Charlie promo. But still, with it so close on the heels of Laura's surprise death, there's really a lot of mourning going on in Salem. And you know, plus, even though he played a bad guy, Mike Manning was so good in the role, and I'm really sorry to see him leave. Um, but that being said, I love a whodunit. Uh, my favorite story in soap opera history is Who Killed Diana Taylor on General Hospital. I loved everything about it. I loved Heather sneaking out of the sanitarium. I loved how Anne was written in blood to frame and Logan. It was a big twist at the end in that Heather's mother Alice did it, and knowing head writer Ron Carlovati, there is sure to be a good curveball here too. Yeah, soaps have told some really awesome whodunits over the years. Uh, I think the Diana Taylor story is the absolute gold standard, but I grew up loving who killed Will on All My Children. Uh, The show did that awesome promo shoot with all of the suspects and trench coats. And I loved uh, who shot Jake on Another World. Certainly there are no shortage of solid suspects or people with motive to kill Charlie. So I'm looking forward to the ride. But uh, to your point about the morning in Salem, ditto GH, you know? Um, I have to say that I feel like Julian deserved a little more mourning, but his real death kind of got eclipsed by Sonny's presumed death. And it has been grief central for the Corinthoses and their extended circle. And um, it made me think that how on GH, the only permanent set, meaning the only set that is always up in the studio, as opposed to put up and taken down as the scripts call for, is the nurses station. But I feel like there might be a cost savings if GH just kept the cemetery set up all the time. (laughs) You know, especially because we've seen visits to Nathan's grave, Morgan's grave, and Nell's uh, grave, in addition to Sonny's burial, in just the past few weeks alone. Okay, that's funny. Um, and, you know, with the state of the world right now, I could use a little levity in my daytime viewing. You know, that's why I'm so excited for Jack A. Harry's debut as Daisy's Paulina Price. We will see her on March 1st, so it's just around the corner. And based on the promo that NBC is running, she is going to be a hoot. I spoke to her yesterday for an upcoming story, and you and I both loved her as another World's Lily Mason, and she had such amazing memories of Bay City that I just... Loved everything about our chat, but I feel Paulina is going to be a good balance to the heaviness elsewhere on the canvas. It's like what we're seeing now with Susan Banks, or should I say, Kristen playing Susan? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, still, you need a chuckle here and there. Um, and another day's news: Katie McLean isn't quite done yet. We will still see Jennifer in a series of phone calls home. We also report in the new issue that Amanda Seton is back filming at GH as Brooklyn after her extended maternity leave. Uh, we will see her on screen in the month of March as well, and we will find out if she is with child or not, since the show dangled the possibility that Brooklyn was pregnant by her one night stand with Valentine. Now, Brooklyn is such a like snarky firecracker kind of character who I do think will bring a fun energy back to the canvas. Um, because I do think that things in Port Charles are going to get even darker courtesy of all of the double wedding drama and its fallout coming out. Uh, coming up in the next week, and certainly reverberating far past that. You mentioned balance, and I do think it is really so important for a show to look at its canvas as a whole and make sure that there are pops of color, if you will, to give some respite from all the heavy drama. That's why um, I so appreciate the presence of a character like what we expect. Paulina to be, uh, why I love the Brit and Brad scenes we got recently on GH, why I perk up every time Gloria is on YNR, you know, even soap fans need a laugh every once in a while. Yes, we certainly do. And that's why when I started watching Days, you know, I really gravitated toward Eugene Calliope and Anna and Alex Marshall. We talked to Leanne Hunley about that when she was on the podcast. I just think those are the characters and scenes that, you know, make everything feel a little more fun. Mm -hmm. Um, now our guest today is the central part of the who killed charlie story it's mike manning who played the doom rapist but is nothing like his alter ego in real life so let's check in with him and see how his days run played out hi mike
1: hey how's it going
0: good how's it going with you
1: uh it's pretty good i mean i've been better i'm I'm dead now so (laughs) but um other than that things are good (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay well that's a pretty pretty big thing to get over but <laughs> we definitely want to talk about that today um, but first we want to get to know you a little better um, okay. so you were born in Florida and grew up there and in Colorado the oldest of three kids so what was your childhood like for you
1: um my childhood was uh, I was really lucky I mean I had a, a really loving family um, because I was the oldest I sort of had more responsibility than my siblings so there were certain situations where I had to grow up um, a little faster uh, than I think um, a normal kid would. So that, what that taught me was, you know, really a go get it mentality and um, you know, like a mentality that people aren't going to get things for you. You have to work really hard and get it yourself. And, um, and I've sort of taken that into my adult life, but, um, but it was, it was great. I mean, I, I, we moved from, Florida to Colorado when I was eight. So we went from beach people to snow people and my parents really embraced that. And they signed me up for skiing lessons. And, um, and, uh, and I had, I spent a lot of time outdoors and we had a field behind my house. And so we would always play football and soccer. And we had like, you know, the, the neighborhood with the white picket fence and everything. So it was, it was a really, I I was lucky. I'd be lying if I said I I didn't have a, a pretty nice childhood.
0: Well, you've described in interviews that you had a very active imagination as a kid. What were mm-hmm. the early signs that a career in the arts might be in your future?
1: You know, I, I always loved acting and I always loved the arts. Um, I never, it wasn't in my atmosphere. You know, I grew up, grew up middle class and I grew up not really knowing any actors Um, They weren't really in in my, like, professional, the idea of being a professional actor just wasn't in my orbit, so, um, but I had done community theater, and I had done plays when I was younger, and I always knew I loved it. I just didn't realize that you could make a living out of it um, until I was, until I was older, but, uh, yeah, some of my earliest, most, like, fondest memories would be at my grandma's house, pretending to be Peter Pan, flying around the house, or, you know gathering up the the neighborhood kids or my cousins or whatever, and watching a Disney movie and acting it out scene by scene, so i always I, I sort of in my gut, I always knew that I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't really understand how until I was much older
0: mm-hmm. well, after you graduated high school, you did go to college, so were you still planning kind of maybe a career in acting or were you going to pursue a more traditional career route at that time?
1: yeah oh no, no great question uh, so in college, my life took a very sharp turn uh in a good way so i was going to school for business uh for finance and i ha- i was i was still acting on the side and i was still but but again i never thought that i could make a living doing that and then uh my best friend his name was john he came up to me one day and we're i think we're studying in the library for like a business test and he was in he was also going to school for business and he came up to me and he said hey mike there's an open casting call for a show called real world. Do you want to, uh, I know that you've acted before and you've done this audition thing. Can you come and help me get on the show? And I was at that point, I had never watched the show and I was like, wait, what's real world. And, uh, and I was like, okay, fine. And it's, I'll never forget this. I said, okay, fine. I'll go with you to help you get on the show. And you like, but you have to buy me lunch and we did. And so we, then that weekend we drove to an open casting call uh, in you know, at a, a different location in Colorado, and I ended up getting on the show, and I remember telling my parents at the time. I think I was working at Enterprise Rent a Car when I found out that I got on the show, and I was like cleaning out a car, and they called my cell phone and said, "Hey, we want you on the show," and I had no idea at that point what my what my life was going to become, and uh, and I said yes to them, and I I remember going home and telling my, my parents like. Mom and dad, I'm gonna be on this MTV show uh and I, I have to move to Washington, DC in, in two months. And they were like, What show? And I was like, I don't I was like, I, I was like, I don't know, I'm gonna go research it. And I remembered pulling up clips on YouTube of real world and uh and thinking to myself, what did I just get into?
0: Oh wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah. But it was great. I mean it was it was a great experience for me and I would never I wouldn't take it back. I wouldn't change it. It really opened some doors for me. It really got me comfortable with entertainment and the camera. And um and it it gave me a fan base so that when I moved to LA, uh it was a bit easier to to start off, you know, hit the ground running and get some traction in terms of acting jobs.
0: So I, I find this so immensely fascinating. First of all, was your friend mad that you got cast and he didn't?
1: Okay, so yeah, so uh, he actually came and visited me on the show while I was there. So in a roundabout way, I was the reason that he was on the show. So he kind of got what he wanted. Uh, It just wasn't the way that he thought it would be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I I did some digging and I found your promotional bio for when that, that cast was announced.
1: Oh no! Oh,
0: <laughs> you were described. You were described as, quote, the typical jock, a star athlete, prom king, popular with all the girls, an all-around golden child from a Christian family. Do you think this is a fair snapshot of who Mike Manning was at the time?
1: Uh, yeah, who I was, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, fair. Um, okay, so for me, I, the idea of having cameras on me 24-7 um, could make me, like, break out in hives. Um, what was it like having the cameras documenting your every move, and, like, how, quote, real was it?
1: So, I'll say this. I would never do it again, because nowadays I like my privacy too much, and I just, it, it was a lot. It was three and a half months living in a house with seven other people that I have never met in a place where I've never been, and you have to call to like say that we wanted to go to uh, I wanted to go to the gym or I wanted to go where to a park or wherever I would have to call the the we called it the bat phone and we would have to go on the bat phone and call the producers and get permission to leave the house and we would have to give them like thirty minutes or an hour's notice so that they could put a, a mobile crew together and they would follow us. Um, but everything aside from the bathroom was on camera. We had cameras, we had, uh, we were wearing a necklace that had a microphone in it, or we had a mic on our shirt at all times. Our headboards of our beds had microphones, the cameras were in every single room. It was, um, it was, it was very, very, very invasive. But I will say this on the flip side, at that time in my life as a, as a young man, that was figuring out who I was. It really forced me to look in the mirror and be honest about myself, and be honest about a lot of things that um, I was sort of figuring out at that point. And uh, and it's almost like jumping off a cliff because I was like, you know what? I need to figure out who I am because this show is going to be seen by 80 million people around the world, and there's no hiding it. There's no I can't spend three and a half months not being authentic to who I am. And that was a very liberating experience.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, what was your experience? Of watching the season or having your life, you know, or a, at least a snapshot of it, become so public.
1: Yeah, I didn't actually watch uh, a lot of it just because I <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> um, but I I did I did find myself when I knew that certain episodes were coming out. I did find myself calling my mother and my grandmother and apologizing for what they <laughs> were about. <laughs> so, but um, but overall, it, it wasn't too bad because it was in Washington D.C. So. They needed a cast member to be political. Um, and this was on the cusp of Obama being elected and the, you know, the youth hope campaign for him as president. And and there was a lot of things, there were a lot of things going on in our world that were youth driven. And I think that's why they chose MTV shows Washington, DC for the that season. And I was the most politically active in the House, and I actually got a job as an intern um with a a, an organization that was pushing for like renewable energy and, and like going green. And then also an organization that was pre- um, pushing uh, for equal rights, the human rights campaign. So they, a lot of my storyline was actually following me around working on politics. Uh, so when I finished the show, I actually got to travel to a bunch of colleges and high schools and talk about being an activist and, you know, and poli- you know, politics and, um, and that was a really nice way to meet a lot of people and to travel the country and and everything else. So I'm really, you know, it was it was really the best case scenario that I could have asked for in terms of the result of doing that show.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how did your friends and family react after it aired?
1: Uh. Well. <laughs> um. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh. It was. It was mostly positive. Um. I. It was mostly positive i think that there were a few things that i got in fights with like my cousin uh, my cousins about or you know certain friends about um i it came out on the show that i was dating both men and women and that was a sore subject for some of my more religious cousins um and so there was a rocky period for a couple months but i think that overall when they when they took the time to really talk to me and realize that I was the same person I always was. Um, I think that they, it helped both of us, I think grow within our relationship with each other and it helped them grow in their understanding that, you know, even if I had a different lifestyle or point of view than they did, I was still a good person. I was still a Christian. I was still going to church. I was still, so it actually helped a a chunk of my family, sort of reconcile their beliefs, um, which I hope that, you know, they still hold today and, and helps them w- with anybody else that they would meet in that same situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Um, you spoke about uh, how your activism was showcased on the show, and that seems to have been a real through line in your career um, and your life. Where do you think that uh, that drive towards activism comes from?
1: Honestly, I <clears throat> I don't know because my parents aren't very political uh, and I never, growing up, I never had anybody in my life that was very political. I just, uh, I think that one of the same reasons that I wanted to be an actor, I think that early on I realized the power of story and maybe it was, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it was the response that I got on Real World when when I was honest about myself. Um, I think that the response that I got from fans and the messages I got from around the world um, about how much that was affecting people, I think it was that moment where I kind of realized like the power of story and being authentic and, and sharing who you are as a person really, really affects people and really creates change. And that's sort of what I've taken along with me in my career in Los Angeles when I first moved here. I moved here for acting and I got really lucky. I was on a Disney show and I was on, I did Hawaii 5 and Major Crimes and like some guest stars. And I started building a career as an actor. Um, and then I started doing documentaries and producing documentary films that were about certain social causes. And honestly, I think that those found me. And it was just, uh, I would meet with these filmmakers and I would fall in love with the story that they were trying to tell. And I said, I think this story is going to if this story is released into the world, it's going to help people. And I, I sort of made it a decision. Like when I am on my deathbed and I'm looking back on what I did in my career, am I going to be proud of the acting roles? Yes, one thousand percent. And I love what I do. But what will I hope is going to outlast me and and live on and and be a you know affect this world? Um, I think it's going to be more of the political. Um, documentary stories and political films that I produce um that's to I hope that that's my legacy above anything else.
0: Well when you were breaking into the business um was there ever a oh that's just Mike from the real world he's not an actor was there any feeling of that show was kind of hurting your chances at all in finding professional acting jobs?
1: Yeah great no great question uh yes it was and it's interesting. So <laughs> I when I first moved here, um I st- I h- tried to hide it from my peers, from casting directors, from producers, from everybody else. I never mentioned the real world. It wasn't on my website, it wasn't on my resume. And um and and so I really tried to um separate myself from that because I thought that it would have people look at me as like, "Oh, he's just a reality TV kid." And now that I'm a little bit older, um, I I and also I think reality TV has changed and everybody's doing reality TV and so the stigma is uh, is has gone away a bit so now I, I embrace it and I embrace it as part of my journey and my story but yeah absolutely there was a time where um, where I I definitely tried to separate myself and also it's interesting on Real World I was known as Mike Manning when I got into SAG for acting I added the C so I was Mike C Manning and then recently I went. Uh, I went back to Mike Manning. And so it, it sort of comes full circle where my professional my professional name now, uh, name now is Mike Manning. And that was the same name that I went by on Real World.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Mike, one of your earliest credits has, in my humble opinion, the absolute best title and plot summary anywhere oh, on IMDb.
1: Oh, no. Oh no I know this is going. Oh, no. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, for those who who don't know. It's called Ginger Dead 3, Saturday Night Cleaver, and the plot is the Ginger Dead Man travels back in time to 1976 and carries out an epic disco killing spree. So, Mike, the question I must ask you is, were you crushed not to be asked to appear in Ginger Dead 4, Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bond?
1: Yeah, great! Thank you so much for that question. <laughs> um, so uh, I did not know that there was a Ginger Dead Man 4 until this. <laughs> so I wasn't really crushed that I wasn't asked. Uh, that was one of my first acting credits, and I had just—I think I had just booked like a, some TV stuff. And you know, I was—I was doing my best, um, making a living as an actor. And a friend of mine, Steven, uh was a producer on. Ginger Dead Man 3, Saturday Night Cleaver. <laughs> and uh, I think he, I think somebody, like one of the actors dropped out and he calls me and he goes, Hey, Mike, uh, do you want to be in this movie? It's a horror movie and it shoots tomorrow. And you're going to be playing the role of Adonis, who is this guy that is shirtless on roller skates and he makes out with this girl in a supply closet. And he is killed by a gingerbread cookie. And in the first two movies, the gingerbread cookie was voiced by Gary Busey, which oddly makes sense. And and, uh, do you want to do it? I said, sure, why not? And and that will forever be one of my first acting credits and I can't take it. (laughs) It's a great one. (laughs) Yeah, well, so, and I I, I was nail gunned to death by a gingerbread cookie. So they had like a, a, they had a puppet and then they had, um, I think they CGI'd a cookie for some of the, some of the parts of the movie, but yeah, I was literally, they put blood all over me and I was shirtless and I was nail gunned to death by a gingerbread cookie.
0: I mean, how many people can have that as a claim to fame? Not many.
1: Listen, Brad Pitt was a, a, a chicken, I think. And then, he, and then one of his first roles as, as one of his jobs, and then one of his first roles was a really bad horror movie as well. So if he can do it, then. If I have a a career of of Brad Pitt, then I won't be complaining about a.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, well, you did mention landing on the Disney Channel. It was a movie, Cloud Nine, which was set in the world of competitive snowboarding. So tell us about that experience.
1: Yeah, I, uh, Cloud Nine was a huge stepping stone for me. Um, I it's funny. So I actually at the time I had done a mo- uh, a TV show called Crash and Bernstein, and on the show I was playing an Australian born exchange student and when they cast cloud nine originally I th- the role was australian and at the time i was like i'm going to commit to this i was like i i am they want australian i'm going to be australian so for every audition for every f- from like the parking attendant to the person that was running the elevator to the casting directors to the director to the other cast in the waiting room throughout the entire audition process i spoke australian and my best friend at the time was Australian and he went through the script and, and went through everything with me and sort of taught me how to speak. And <laughs> so I go through and I have my first audition and then I get a callback and I have my callback and then I go to producers and, and this is over the course of weeks and weeks. So I go into producers and I am in. I'll never forget, I was in this room and in the film, I'm acting with Dove Cameron, Luke Benward and Kiersey Clemens. And I was the, the, the film centers around four snowboarders basically. And I was the last one to be cast. So we're in the room and they're doing a chemistry read and they're sort of trading out people for my role. And they wanted him to be Australian, but they had some other guys in there that were American. And the entire time I'm like speaking Australian <laughs> and I'm in the moment and I'm like, okay, so we're we gonna do this and we're gonna, and I was like so into it from start to finish. And so a lot of these people never uh, heard as American. So halfway through the audition, they were like, Mike, uh, well, they're not Australian. So they were like, Mike, um, sorry to do this to you. And, there's, and this is a room, there's 15 people in the room. There's the other actors, there's the director, there's the casting directors, there's Disney executives, there's everybody in this room, and they're sort of putting me on the spot. And, you know, the casting director goes, Mike, I'm so sorry to do this to you, but is there any way that you, like, do you have an American accent? Oh, my God. Your Australian accent I mean, is really good. Yeah, exactly. And I stopped and I looked around and I was like, yeah, sure, what do you want? And you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody, oh froze, everybody froze. And they're like, wait a second, where are you from? And I, I was like, uh, Colorado. And, and that's what booked me the job. And and I, I got to snowboard and I got to live in Utah for, for three and a half months. And... Um, and at that point, it was the biggest thing that I had done as an actor. So it really um, opened doors for me. It, the sad thing is, is it was supposed to be a three-picture deal. And there were, I can say this now because it's never going to happen, but uh, <laughs> they we shot in the middle of a blizzard and there were so many complications that they only made the first movie.
0: Oh, that yeah. sucks. That's a great story, though. Yeah, yeah.
1: totally. Uh, well, yeah. now I owe the Australian accent if I ever want to use it.
0: So you've also, um, as you mentioned, been very active as a producer. Um, and one of the credits that really jumped out to me uh, of yours is the documentary, Kidnapped for Christ, which was bought, bought rather by Showtime, um, which you executive produced uh, with Lance Bass, formerly of InSync, and Tom DeSanto, who uh, produced the X-Men franchise. So how, how did you get involved with that project, which has such a compelling story to tell, Um, And with the two of them.
1: Yeah. So with that project, that was one of the first films I had ever produced. And that was sort of the beginning of the journey that we talked about earlier um, in terms of producing projects that have a really important political message. Uh, And so one of the that documentary was essentially about child abuse in Reform camps. And this, this, this story followed the abuse of three American teenagers in this quote unquote reform camp in the Dominican Republic. And one of the the teenagers in this documentary was a friend that I had made in college in Colorado. So he calls me up one day and this is after I did the Disney show. This is after I, I had done a few things. And so I'm living in California. I'm making a living as an actor. I have my own apartment. He calls me up and he says, Hey, Mike. I'm coming out to do an interview for this documentary. Um, can I stay with you for a couple days? And I didn't really think anything of it. I said, yeah, sure, why not? So he, he comes over and we had a couple shots of tequila and he opens up to me about this story about his time at this camp and the abuse that he went through and all these other things. And by the end of it, I'm, there's tears in my eyes and I'm like, oh man, you're my friend and I can't believe that you went through this uh, how can I help? How can I help this film? And I met the filmmaker. Her name was Kate Logan, and she had all this amazing footage, but it was her first film, and she really didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't at that point. I didn't know how to produce. But we met for coffee, and I said, "Look, I think this is a powerful story. Let me let's figure it out." And I, some of the first calls I made were to Lance Bass, who I had, I had met through other charity work, and he said, "Yes, I'm in 100." And then I called Tom DeSanto, who I met through charity work. And like you said, I mean, he's a huge producer. He's he had done Transformers and X Men and all these other things. And I said, um, I sent him some of the footage, and he calls me up the next day and he goes, "Mike, I'll do this with you." And I was like, "Wait, what? What are you talking about?" Because I just wanted him to point me in the right direction, help me out a little bit. And he goes, "No, I'll 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 produce this movie with you." Wow. And I was like, "I was like, wow, okay, great." And we we made it. And then I followed Kate to her next film, and that was. beginning of my my producing journey Mm -hmm. incredible (laughs)
0: totally i mean another one that sounds pretty impressive as well is lost in america a documentary about homelessness that you were involved in on the production side and was executive produced by rosario dawson and jewel so that Mm -hmm. came out last year and tell us about that journey
1: yeah that was another one where i just living in los angeles uh you see a lot of homeless people and i had started volunteering at a youth drop-in center and some other homeless shelters. And it was an issue that was weighing heavily on my heart. And I met this filmmaker who, um, at the time he was, you know, in his early 40s. And he uh, is a dad, you know, he has two daughters and and he's made a career as a filmmaker in Hollywood. But when he was 19, he was homeless. And so he knew what these kids were going through and he knew he sort of had a very interesting point of view uh, to the story that he wanted to tell with this film. So uh, I, when, (laughs) when I first signed on to produce the film, I thought it was going to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to work on this for six months or a year. And that's going to be the end of it. It ended up taking us five years to make this film because every time it started out as a little baby film that we were going to make, but every time we wanted, we thought we were done uh, another celebrity or influencer or whatever would sign on to to be a part of our film and it just started growing and growing and growing and we can't say no when rosario dawson or Halle berry or john bon jovi or jewel or tiffany haddish or Sanaa lathan uh say that they want to be a part of your film you don't say no i'm sorry uh we don't We're booked. Rem- yeah <laughs> yeah so so uh it, it just, it grew and it grew and it grew. And before we knew it, we were producing this huge movie with Halle Berry and, um, and it was, it was, it was amazing. It was one of the things, like we talked about earlier, I think on my deathbed someday, hopefully in the, in the very far future. Um, I'll look back and that that will 1000% be one of the projects <clears throat> I'm the, I'm the most proud of.
0: Absolutely. That's really quite, quite incredible. Um, so I feel like that would keep you plenty busy, but yet you are still plugging ahead with acting, having success, appearing on primetime, as you mentioned. Um, You, in more recent years, uh, you did a stint on Teen Wolf, and yet more recently, uh, three episodes of Tyler Perry's The Haves and The Have-Nots. What was your experience like on that uh, that show, where I understand yet another doomed character to
1: play yeah, yeah, uh, that's exactly right. Doomed character. They like to kill me. Um, <laughs> well, so Tyler Perry moves very, very fast. He shoots in Atlanta in his studio. And I'll, I'll say that that really got me used to um, the the pace of uh, of shooting an, an episode a day, like 70, 80 pages a day. And so I will say that I'm grateful for that because um, I think that that prepared me for, possibly what I would face on days. Um, and, uh, and then Teen Wolf also was kind of cool because I, I played a cop, a young cop that comes in and tries to take over the police station. And, uh, and he, you know, he has this attitude and, um, and I had a fight scene and, uh, my fight scene was with Lyndon Ashby who people might remember as playing Johnny Cage on the original Mortal Kombat movies. So, and I was a huge fan of those Mortal Kombat movies and so I uh, I remember thinking we did this whole fight choreographed fight scene, and I had like a, a a plate on my chest and on my back because there's a scene where he sort of roundhouse kicks me and I fall into this jail cell. And the whole time that I'm rehearsing with the stunt coordinator, I'm thinking to myself, Johnny Cage is kicking my butt right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so and that was I mean that was like a, just a really cool experience for me, um, just. But my young nerd self was just really, you know, excited. And then on the has and the have nots, uh, the same thing. I I worked with John Schneider, who people might remember from the the Dukes of Hazzard, and I had worked with him on another movie called What Would Jesus Do? Um, and I on that movie I played like this young punk. And, uh, and I like, he, (laughs) he plays essentially plays this angel that comes in to teach us a lesson. And I play this young teenager that, and I like, he's like a homeless man and I throw a sandwich at him. And it was a really, he, he got to know me as like this, this jerk. And then on the haves and the have nots, he's one of the, he plays one of the leads. And so I called him up when I found out I booked the show and I said, John, what can I expect on the show? And he said, they move really, really fast. And sure enough, I got there. And he met me in the makeup trailer and he goes, Mike, the the time that you're spending here in this makeup trailer um, is longer than the time you're going to spend shooting your scene. And, and sure enough, it was like one take really, really quickly, you know, Tyler Perry moves really quickly. And, but it, it also, I will say, and and he also saw me not playing a jerk for once, which was nice. And, and I will say that when I found out I I booked days, um, that was one of the, I think, stepping stones that prepared me to move at the pace that Days also moves. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, just so you know, <laughs> Lyndon Ashby has his own soap credits to his name. That's how we know him. Um, but so, okay, so Days is your first network soap credit, but fans of The Bay and its spinoff YA knew you prior to that as school teacher Caleb McKinnon. So how did you get involved in The Bay and uh, where you are actually both a cast member and a producer.
1: Yeah, so I uh, on the bay I had met Gregory and Christos, uh, who essentially created the series, and um, at Laney Entertainment, and they were looking to cap, like to have this new storyline that comes in um, a love interest to one of the characters, and uh, and then simultaneously they had been thinking about doing a, a spinoff series, and so we met and they said. Mike, you're perfect for this role. And we sort of built the character together. They built it around me and meeting me, and, uh, which was a huge blessing because how often as an actor, so much of being an actor is waiting by the phone and trying to convince people that you fit, that you, what you bring as a human fits into the world that they're trying to create, whether it's TV or a series or whatever. And it's pretty rare where somebody says, I am going to create a role around you. And you are going, like, I, I'm going to fit the universe around you. And so when he said that to me, of course, I, I said, yes, please, like, please, let's work together. And, um, and it went so well that then they had, um, they wanted to greenlight the first series of YA, which I, I believe is going to be released later this year. Um, and, and it's actually funny that for, for part of the Bay, I was shooting on the Bay while I was also shooting on YA and it was the same character but it was in a different world it was <clears throat> he he wasn't the love interest he was a school teacher of the main cast of these young kids that were the leads of this YA series so i was shooting two different series as the same character in the same world but very opposite ends of the same coin at the same time and i don't think that that'll ever happen to me again so it was it was a lot of work and it and i really I I would go to bed thinking that I was Caleb McKinnon and wake (laughs) up that I was Caleb McKinnon. But, um, but it was a really, yeah, it was a really cool experience. And then they actually, they made me a producer in season five of the Bay and they, the Bay won for best daytime digital drama. And so all the producers got Emmys. So, uh, I, I got an Emmy and and I actually joke. Yeah. I, I, I actually joke that, um, that most of 2020 can just go away because it was so bad for so many people, but June and July can stay because that's when I found out. And that's when the M- Emmy was delivered to my house. So, uh, so we can keep that because I, I I don't want to lose the Emmy.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Mike, let's talk some days of our lives now. So tell us your casting story first.
1: Yeah. So it's never simple. It's never easy. <laughs> days of our lives. It was, it wasn't easy as well. Um, I found out about the show, well, I'll just say Marnie, the casting director, and Bob. Um, they're both just wonderful, and and I really, really think that they care about the actors and really finding people that are going to fit into the world of Days of Our Lives. And Marnie had first brought me in seven or eight years ago um, when I first moved to Los Angeles. I've been here for 10 years and when I really started getting some TV credits and really gaining some traction, she brought me in. And I ended up going to producers for this role. And I didn't get it. It was down to me and like two other guys. And I didn't get the role. But she's pretty consistently brought me in every year or two. And every single time, it just didn't work out. And with this role, she she brought me in. And when I first auditioned, I didn't know how complicated Charlie was. I knew that he... On one hand, he was like this nervous, uh, this this nervous kind of quirky guy. And then I knew that he had a dark past, but I did not know how dark it was at all. But um, I went in and I auditioned and and I found out about the role. I believe I auditioned in February and I found out about the role in February. And then I found out that I got cast in March and I signed my contract March 10th. And I'll never forget this. Contract March 10th. March 13th is when the shutdown happened and entertainment was frozen. So I spent all of the pandemic not knowing if I had a job, not knowing if the writers were going to change the storyline, not knowing if they were going to keep me as the role, not knowing when entertainment was going to come back, not knowing anything. And But I knew that I loved this character and I really wanted to do the show. And I couldn't tell anybody because my parents are awful at keeping secrets. <laughs> I knew that if I told my mom that she would tell everybody and it would be posted. And then, you know, days would be mad at me. So I couldn't tell anybody. And, and I just spent all of quarantine wondering if I had a job and I couldn't accept other roles because I didn't want to miss out on days. So I spent like so many people, I spent all of quarantine being in limbo and the only thing that I shot was the bay. And so I was really grateful that I actually got to be on set and, and shoot something before days. But, um, Yeah, the producers called me and they said, hey, Mike, we still want you for the role. We're gonna start shooting September 1st. Uh, You are one of the characters we're shooting on our very first day back. There's gonna be a lot of COVID protocol. Are you in? And I said, absolutely. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, you filmed the Bay, I mean, there are some Days of Our Lives actors on the Bay. So did Mm -hmm. you tell them? Or did you not, like Mary Beth, did she know, did anyone know at the Bay that you had gotten days?
1: Uh, so it's funny that you say that. So I called, I talked to Mary Beth and I talked to Brandon Beamer, mm-hmm. uh, both of whom I know from that were on the Bay. And I knew from the Bay that I also knew were, were on days. And, uh, and I said, Hey, Hey guys, like, I don't want to be the new kid in school. You know, cause every, you started a new show actors that have been working together for years. You feel like the new kid. So I called them and then I called Lucas who plays Trip uh, and it's actually fun. It's a funny story. So I've known Lucas for years. I've known him for seven, seven years, I think just, you know, friends of friends, we would be at the same, you know, game night or whatever it was. and, And we just became buddies. And so when I found out about the role, this shows you how little I knew about Charlie. When I signed on, I found out about the role and I said, Hey, Lucas, like, um, they just let me know that we're gonna start shooting September first. Like and this is in August. I said, Hey, like a couple of weeks before we start filming, can I come over? Can we like, you know, have a beer and just catch up and talk and like can I pick your brain about what it's like working on days, you know, just to make me more comfortable. And he said, Yeah, man, sure, great. So we go there and we're we're talking and everything. And I don't know what happened in the conversation, but we're just talking and he goes, Yeah, well it's like really cool that we're just gonna be, you know, we're like half brothers and stuff. And I was like, I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and I didn't know that. So Lucas had more information. Everybody had more information than I did. And I was like, "Wait a second. And he goes, and he just saw the look on my face, and he goes, uh, "I don't know if I was supposed to tell you that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was. I, but you know, I'm just I'm so grateful for 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 days and for the experience that it's been, and the fact that I got to work with Lucas and and Isabel. I think the fact that she replaced. The other actress as Claire, it was a newer experience for her. And so we sort of went into it agreeing that we were just going to work our butts off and really try to uh, make the most of our scenes. And she's so giving as an actress. And Tamara, too, she was on days and then she, she was off days for a while and she was coming back to days. And she's such a gifted actress and she, she gives so much in the scene. And so I consider myself really blessed that she played my mother um, because a lot of those emotional scenes I don't think would have been the same. If I had done those scenes with another actress,
0: mm-hmm. well, you have to tell us. You know, when you did find out what Charlie wasn't telling everybody, how, what was your reaction to finding out just how intense uh, his backstory was?
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't know if this was intentional, or if I, or if this it just happened this way. But I I got bits of information uh, little by little. It wasn't like hey, Charlie, you signed on and you're shooting now. And oh, by the way, like, Charlie's the one that um, sexually assaulted Allie. And this is, he's going to kidnap his mother and all this other stuff. It was like every week I would get a new piece of information about Charlie's backstory. And in the beginning, I decided, I was like, you know what? I, I knew that he had a dark past. And so I was like, you know what? I don't want to play Charlie as a villain because every villain Two things, every villain feels justified and every villain thinks they're right. And, and I was like, I really wanna show the humanity behind Charlie and I really want him to be, show different sides of himself and be those sides 1000%. So when he was at Titan, Charlie really wanted to do a good job, really wanted to impress uh, Philip and Xander and really wanted to, it was the first thing that he had gotten for himself uh that was not something that his mom set up that was not something from you know that like mob family uh that he was escaping from and so i really wanted him to be earnest and, thick and really doing a good job and then with isabel uh with with claire i really i decided that this was the first time charlie had ever fallen in love and i really wanted him to fall in love i wanted him to have that mad blinding drive you crazy head over heels love for, for Claire. And I think that it shows on screen the chemistry that these two have and had together. And, and that was a really interesting part of playing Charlie because you knew that he had done this awful thing in the past and you knew that he had taken advantage of Allie, and he had this blinding jealousy and rage uh, towards trip. And you knew all these other things, but at the same time, you're seeing this guy, have a job that means so much to him. Have a girlfriend that means so much to him, and try to balance everything while getting away with this awful thing that he did in his past. And I think that's why the the fan response has been amazing. And I'm I'm so so grateful for everybody that's reached out and everybody that's watched the show and and supported that journey um, for for me and for Charlie. Because and I think that the reason they do they do that is because they saw both sides. They saw the humanity in Charlie, even though he did an awful thing. And it's also fun to watch and fun to play. You're playing somebody that, in one scene, is head over heels in love with somebody, and then in the next scene, he kidnaps his mother, threatens to tie her up with Christmas lights, and is going a little crazy. And who doesn't like, you know, crazy? Who doesn't like right. to watch a-
0: <laughs> Well, obviously your story did take a big turn with the reveal that Charlie is Ava's son and Ally's rapist. I know that those were huge moments to play and you had told me even recreating the scenes of the attack were really difficult. So what was it like for you to play out the darker side of Charlie?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, I'll be honest with you. The, when I received the script that we were going to recreate the sexual assault between Charlie and Allie, um, I was sick to my stomach. I didn't sleep that night. Uh, The day leading up to shooting those scenes, I didn't sleep and I was, I felt sick. All that day uh, on set, I couldn't eat and I felt sick. And then I think the next day I, I, I felt sick and there was just this pit in my stomach um, of just feeling gross and feeling awful and sleazy and just all the all the, the bad things. Because um, what what I decided to do with Lindsay Arnold was really go for it. And as much as you know, you're going to go for anything on NBC, but. We, we sort of decided, like, we really have to make this uh, authentic and and mean and vicious and brutal because there are women and men that go through these experiences. And the only thing worse than having this experience and, and recreating it is doing it in a way that's not authentic, that doesn't feel true to the story and what this girl actually went through. And so we really, we we went for it and it was mean and it was vicious and physical and and everything else and um and and it felt gross and and I felt like an awful person for for that entire week but I think that we couldn't do it any other way because the if we if we phoned it in um then everybody that has experienced something like that that's watching the show would feel like we just we were making fun of a very real situation so it wasn't my favorite scene to shoot by any means, but it was a really important scene to shoot. And I really respect Lindsay for for her acting and what she went through. And also for handling this storyline as a whole. I know that it's been a really drawn out storyline and she's had to play a lot of uncomfortable situations. And that's just a testament to her as an actress really being able to handle a lot of this stuff. So again, I think I'm lucky to have Lindsay as a scene partner in those scenes because um she really brought an authenticity to the pain that this girl was experiencing Mm -hmm. well
0: obviously mike charlie was was not a good guy and he was not designed for the audience to root for him to get away with his misdeeds but as you mentioned you know the audience really did um have a great response to your work and um to what you were bringing to the role you know did you worry about how the fans might receive you? And then what was your reaction to their warm reaction?
1: Yeah, I was I was convinced that they were gonna skewer me and drag me over the coals. And I was convinced that, um, well, cause they're, I mean, today's fans are not stupid and people have been watching the show for years and there's a formula to the show to a certain extent. And so in the beginning, when Charlie shows up on the scene, and he also has a last name. It's not just Charlie. It's Charlie Dale. So they're like, okay, this guy's going to be around for a little bit. Nobody just shows up in Salem. What is this guy's deal? What's going on here? And and that's why it was kind of fun because I, I I was really leaning into the the glasses and the nerdy, bumbling, quirky, um, you know, you stub your toe kind of guy. And uh, and and they and after a couple of weeks of that people were like, okay, maybe he really is just this quirky guy. And then when it became revealed that he was Ava's son and, and all these other things, um, I was convinced that the fans were going to turn on me and, and hate me. And I will say, you know, a lot of people don't like what he did by any means. But, um, but the response, I think because Tamara and I, with that backstory and with the scene between mother and son, we really went for it and we really dug deep. I feel like people respect good work. And I, and I think that we really tried to show the humanity between these two characters. And as much as people hated what Charlie did, at the end of the day, I don't think anybody can say, okay, I'm going to walk away from this not understanding why Charlie did what he did. I think that we at least know why, where that came from and where that hurt came from and the rejection of his mother and you know all the other bad things that happened him as a child we at least walk away from this experience knowing why Charlie did what he did.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, the citizens of Salem were pretty upset with Charlie for doing what he did and getting away with it. And over the past week or so, we have seen that there are plenty of people in town who had a motive to kill Charlie. And indeed, your character's death is kicking off a huge whodunit. So first of all, when did you find out that Charlie was going to die? And do you have any theories about who the culprit is?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, so it's, it's interesting because th- that brings up another story. So um, I found out, I think about halfway through filming Charlie's storyline and the producers came up to me and they said, Mike, uh, we just want to say you're doing great work and, you know, and you're really making it hard to continue with the storyline. But it was always the plan to kill Charlie and we have to kill Charlie to wrap up the storyline. Um, but that's no reflection on you as an actor. And I said, okay, great. So I, I knew I found out about halfway through. And of course, me as the actor, uh, as soon as they said that, I was like, all right, I'm going to work my butt off and really make it, if they're going to kill me, I'm going to make it hard for them to kill me. And so I really tried to, again, I tried to find the humanity in Charlie and I really tried to make him a character that was remorseful for what he did. And that very same day on set, uh, there was a scene between... Charlie and Claire, and and so I'm on on set, and and I'm begging her to, I think, well, I'm trying to remember the exact scene, but it was a scene where I lie and tell her that I didn't do anything. You know, Charlie tells Claire that he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't assault Allie and he also begs her to be on his side and says that he doesn't have anybody else. And at the end of the scene, there are tears in my eyes, there are tears in her eyes, and and I'm really, I'm essentially begging Claire, my soulmate, to be on my side, and to be my ride or die, and to be, and you know, hold my hand through all of this, and at the end of the scene, uh, you know, they yell cut, and Isabel and I, tears in our eyes, and she, and she hugs me, and she goes, oh my god, that was beautiful, and I said, oh my god, you too, <laughs> and, and the, the producers come over, and they were like, wait, why are you hugging them? Why are you so sad? He's a rapist. And she goes, I know, but he's so cute. And he's like this. And and it was sort of, it was, I kind of laughed to myself in that moment because I was like, you know what? He can, he did this awful thing, but I'm going to, I'm going to fight for Charlie and I'm going to fight to try to show this humanity. And that's what I did, I think, for the second half of the storyline. And I think that's what fans responded to. Um, you know, I think everybody kind of knew when it can't, especially when the flashback came out, like there's no redeeming Charlie. This, he did something awful. He needs to be killed. Uh, And, and I'm just happy that if he's going down, at least he's going down in a blaze of glory. At least there's this really fun whodunit thing. There's a dozen people that I can think of right now that might want Charlie dead. And, uh, and, you know, if, if you're going to die, who doesn't, who doesn't want to be the subject of a murder mystery? Right. Exactly.
0: Are you going to tell your mom?
1: Well, uh, wait, Tamara or my real mom? Your real mom. Your real mom. So there has been, between my real mom and I, there's this sort of running joke that's not, it's becoming not a joke anymore, that the last handful of projects I've done, I've been the bad guy. And when I got cast on Days and she started watching Days, she calls me and she goes, Mike, finally, you're the good guy. You're this intern. You're this... I'm so happy. I'm telling all my friends this is great and they and she loved watching the show and and I didn't say anything because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let her have this. And for 2 months she watched the show and she, and she watched Charlie and she watched it with her friends and she was really into the show. And then when I started shooting the stuff with Tamara, I called her and I said, "Mom, I just have to let you know that in a couple weeks it's going to come out that I assaulted somebody and I'm going to kidnap my mother." And I'm gonna tie her up, and I'm gonna gag her, and I'm gonna do all these things, and you just hear silence on the other side of the phone, and she just, she just sits there and she goes, "I knew it." (laughs) She goes, "I I knew it." She goes, "I knew it was too good to be true," and and so it's this running joke that like I'm always the bad guy, but um, but I I think she's still proud of me. She's still my mom, and she still knows that. In I think in the beginning, because I like I said earlier, um. Being a professional actor was never in my orbit. So, and, and it wasn't, my parents don't know any actors. They really don't understand the industry. For a while, my mom didn't, wasn't able to separate the acting from who I am as a person. Um, I remember I, I shot an episode of Major Crimes. And on the show, I got arrested and put in handcuffs and put into a police car. And she told me about how she and my grandma watched the episode and cried because they saw me getting put in handcuffs. And I was like, mom, this it's just acting. It's my job. And um, and I think over the years, she's become more accepting of the roles that I have to do and, and, and more used to seeing me as being the bad guy, but also being able to separate that from who I am as a person.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it says everything about you that that's how you're cast, when it's completely opposite from who you really are as a person.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess. You I can mean, take they,
0: that away from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they say that, like, what's his name on Game of Thrones, um, was was one of the most vicious villains of all time, and he was they like everybody that worked with him said that he was the sweetest uh, the guy that played joffrey the the king uh said that, that he was the sweetest actor alive and um but he he played such a villain, and so it's like I think it's maybe that situation where uh you know i don't have to be a jerk to play a jerk
0: mm-hmm. The gingerbread cookie said wonderful things about you, too. I don't even know.
1: (laughs) Oh, well played. Well played. (laughs) Um.
0: Well, Mike, before we let you go, is there anything that you would want to say sort of directly to the Days fans who have gone on this wild journey, uh, this Charlie journey with you?
1: Yeah, I I just want to say, regardless of what happens um, with charlie and with days and the future of you know my career and you know soaps in general or whatever um i just want to say thank you for to all the fans that went on this journey with me uh for inviting me into their homes uh once a day or however often they watch the show and for caring so much the the reaction that i've gotten on twitter and instagram and and these social media platforms you know and fan mail and stuff it's been it's been pretty uh it's been really nice and and really important to me, and I don't take that for granted. And uh, so I just want to say thank you to those fans. And um, I hope that I have more projects in the future that people can connect with and and enjoy. Um, yeah, and we'll see. We'll see what's next.
0: Well, on that note, if another show came calling, or if Charlie had a twin brother, uh, would you be open to making a daytime return?
1: Yes, I would. Okay. Yeah. Put it
0: put it out there. You never know.
1: <laughs> well,
0: Well, thank you so much, Mike. It was so great just to hear all your stories and learn more about you and hope to be talking to you soon. You've certainly been my favorite to talk to in the last few months.
1: Uh, Stephanie, thank you for saying that. Uh, Thank you for for your questions and bringing up the stupid gingerbread. And uh, no, it was was great talking to both of you. So I hope that it's not the last time.
0: (laughs) Me too. And have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon.